Hello, and welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jana Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And today we wanted to talk about X-Men, you know, as a change of pace. Man, there are a lot of good X-Books. Excelsior. Excelsior to that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This has been the second renaissance of the X-Men in the last five years, I feel. I, I, I was just about to like either furiously agree or disagree with you, and then I realized I wanted to do both. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely um, like the, the refresher worked, and it doesn't feel like a propulsively new era in the same way. I don't think there's like a unified story and continuity that's different than the Krakoa status quo that we've been enjoying Mm -hmm. but like there's a ton of new books and new blood in the line and people like doing some of their best work for sure for sure and a weird change up like knights of x is ending it may have already ended by the time the episode goes live i believe it will have yeah they, they changed it to a stealth mini and we're all like but knights of x was finally good i mean excalibur was always good but it hadn't been great in a while yeah, hadn't been great in a while, and uh, Knights of X was like such a good, focused refresh with a bunch of characters I was really excited to spend some time with. I feel yeah. like actually later I'm going to have a lot to say about um, uh, about like focusing on a character and what that means to me. But I think, but like uh, those Teeny Howard books are have really interesting ideas, but they're kind of unfocused with their character work. Hmm. They'll just like drift from person to person in different situations. And every so often you'll realize that this is an issue about like, oh, we're going to find out how Gambit feels about something. But you're only you only realize like halfway through that Gambit's been the kind of the main draw of the story. I don't know. I I wish it. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, broadcast its intentions a little more clearly. Mm. But that's for the second half of the episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, We'll get into those when we get when we get there. Um, but for this first half, we have one new series as of the last time. I, we thought that Exterminators would drop by the time we recorded, but I have no idea when that book is actually supposed to launch. Genuinely. I, I'm, now even the reading orders in the backs of my issues are not correctly listed. Yeah. Supply Chain has taken a big old bat to the schedules and no one knows what's what anymore. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of good then that Hickman isn't kind of in charge anymore because we we saw what happened with Secret Wars when his intricately plotted uh, timing came up against scheduling. Yeah, but later we're going to have to find out whatever this Hickman book that's about uh, probably like Leonardo da Vinci traveling through time. I don't know. I don't know. That's a 2023 conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I got enough on my plate. I don't need Leonardo da Vinci fucking up my day. <laughs> so we had Judgment Day uh, that's been going on, and we've got the second ever Hellfire Gala. But instead of being this weird, fun, funky crossover, it was just a big old oversized issue with a bunch of different artists on it. And I think we should probably talk about that because it, it was it was big and it was impactful. But yeah, like a ton of stuff I don't know how I feel issue. about it. You don't well. I know how I feel about it. I thought it was a great issue. I don't know how I feel about the whole phenomenon of doing Hellfire Gala one shots annually, but I think I like it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I I I think it's a, a kind of a nice marker. And like I'm looking at the score I gave it, and I gave it 
pretty high marks. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm just like, something about this issue didn't, didn't like click for me upon revisiting it in my head. And I, I just think maybe it was because of the, the way the artists changed. Like some of the art stuff was, I didn't really like it. Yeah. And some of the artists, like whenever Russell Dowderman got to draw a page, I was like, yes, more. And then we'd switch to a different artist and sometimes it would be just as good. And sometimes it'd be like, did we have to? Um, yeah, the art shifts definitely uh, weren't good for keeping a consistent tone. But I, as I said when we discussed at great length the first Hellfire Gala, I'm just like so happy that there is a regularly occurring story that's not like an invasion of bad guys from the sky every year or something. Yes, it's like really nice to have like a story that's going to be a party and all the uh, drama is going to be like uh, intrigue. Or um, not even sure though. Like last year, help they you know they terraformed a whole fucking planet in an afternoon last year, mm-hmm. and and that's also like um they admitted right at the beginning of the issue that like you can't really top that, and they're not going to try as a story. It was like a fun little uh, meta moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also ostensibly what happened in this one, which was from the pages of X Men, the secret of resurrection existing, but not the mechanism. Uh, kind of leaking, essentially, thanks to Scott. Uh, that overshadowing everything was a brilliant way of following up on it without... Well, it both raises the stakes, but is also a completely different kind of stakes than we've terraformed an entire damn planet. Well, what it also really did that I liked is um, I feel like way too often we just tear through like a superhero status quo. Mm-hmm. Uh, without getting the moment to have all the characters you'd want to see react to it, react to something. Yes. And and, uh, so it was cool to have an issue where, like like you said, like uh, where obviously a lot of people misunderstand how resurrection works, so they are taking it very personally that the mutants aren't sharing this this treasure. Mm. And that led to some, like, really good character conflict where characters like Iron Man and Captain America have to be the antagonist because they're in an X-Men book. (laughs) <laughs> but but right but they're True. still heroes so they're they're trying their best and they have good intentions and that just makes the conflict so much more juicy well i i think cap has good intentions iron man's iron man's iron man well at the end of the day he's justifying everything by i am a hero who is very protective mm. and i need to protect people even though he's in the wrong yeah he's not he's not like whatever that guy from the uk is Pete the, Wisdom. the magic guy no, not Pete Wisdom. Um, the magic guy with the beard from Excalibur who convinces the UK to withdraw from the treaties or whatever. Oh, was that one of the uh, Clan Akaba? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Clan Akaba. They're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen them in a year or so. No, and I guess they're cool uh, villains that we could do more with because I still don't feel like... I can't remember that bearded guy's name. <laughs> I guess Captain Brexit is what his name is until I remember. <laughs> We've Which, got um, our newest villain. Honestly, Psylocke should be fighting uh, Cap or Captain Britain should be fighting Captain Brexit. That sounds great. That does sound great. Um, so I loved one thing I loved about the Hellfire Gala this year was like it was actually kind of sexy. Like we got to see like adults. My favorite thing, which is like vulnerable scenes of like adult conversation. Yes. 
where like Scott and Gene are like sexy and naked in a bed, but they're talking about their hopes and dreams and big plans. <laughs> and it was just like a that's and that's why uh, at the end of the day, like Captain America always feels childish in a way that the X Men feels like adolescent. X Men has to be like PG thirteen, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. I also really liked there was a running gag where um, Emma really wanted to dance with uh, John Hamm, but various superpowers are preventing her from doing it. <laughs> and like, this is the entire full potential of the event, right? Because like, we're, we're doing a not very good likeness of John Hamm drawn into the comic, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was not a good likeness. <laughs> but uh, but I got the uh, the idea of who the character is supposed to be in Marvel and the gag was really funny and i and like uh who's on the invite list and um the way that like the mundane and the superpowers interact that, that's just like all perfect stuff just i really liked um having the one shot i like this as a tradition i wish they would just call it like marauders annual or something though no 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 this is more fun i guess setting this it is... aside making it its own thing i, I think I that I way it doesn't tie mini. it down to one of the books I guess I wish it was a mini then, like a like a four issue mini every year. I guess. Uh, I like having it be an oversized one shot. I mean, if it's gonna be eighty pages, then maybe a mini. But I don't know. It's it's kind of nice having it just be all in one package. Yeah, I guess I you're convincing me. I didn't feel that strongly when I said that. It turns out, uh, yeah, you're, you're convincing me. But yeah, but I just it I, helps I, with I the like... pacing too. I like it, and mm-hmm. I, I want more, and I like the anthology feeling. I love that. That's yeah. the thing that Hickman introduced that I wish we were getting even more of, is, like, um, stories where every issue jumps in perspective because the ensemble's so freaking big. Well, we're, we're getting some of it. Right. We're in getting another book that we'll talk about later. Yes. Well, yeah. do you mean um, the big event of the summer? Oh, no, I'm in Immortal X-Men. Oh, yeah, we'll get to Immortal X-Men. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but before, actually, we get to the, the big event, one more thing on Hellfire. Yeah. I really liked... I, I feel like I'm writing a five-paragraph essay every time I say that. <laughs> I really liked this because... <laughs> but Spider-Man showing up and having the conflict with Mary Jane, considering everything that's going on in the Spider-Man book, was great. And like, but what, also, mm-hmm. what a funny use of secret identities too. Where like, right? fake robot Mary Jane obviously doesn't know who's under the Spider-Man mask, and Peter's like, "Wow, MJ is being very standoffish." Very yeah. good. <laughs> what um, I, I think, what one, I guess one final thought just on Hellfire Gala. And you just reminded me of one final thought, but you go first. What made it for me work really well, even though I said like there were parts that didn't. The more I thought about, it, but story-wise, was I think we finally kind of got a a nice clarification on where we stand with Moira, what Moira wants. Like, there's been a clarification on where she is now that I thought we would be getting in 10 Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine. Or is it X Lives? 10 Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine. Which we didn't. Like, we kind of got a reshuffling of her, her position and, and whatnot, but we never really got a clarification of, like, well, what does she want now? Where is she? How is she feeling? Yeah. With it, this, it's pretty clear. 
it was nice to have like a couple of terse sentences just being like, okay, Moira is an evil robot now. She has turned her back on her uh, her mutantdom. And you're just like, okay, okay, that's I can wrap my head around all this. Um, and that's the same moment I wanted to give. Uh, I liked how it clarified that to the reader. But what I really liked is how it roped Proteus in as a character. Oh, yeah. Proteus is like um, a Claremont villain who leaves a big impact, but is only in a couple issues. And he's, um, um, he's Moira's and Charles's son, right? No, he is not Moira and Charles's son. In the Ultimate Universe, they combined the characters of Proteus and Legion. And I think in the, the other adaptations, they tend to do that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, Proteus's father was Joseph McTaggart. Oh, right. a uh, shitty scholar, Scottish politician. <laughs> um, but like, so we we brought and Proteus's whole thing is like uh, he has crazy powerful reality warping powers, but doing so like burns out his body, and so he has to jump from body into body. Mm-hmm. And as I think they explained in passing in Hoxpox, um, they just the end of every day of resurrection is they resurrect another Proteus, and he hops into his next body. Uh, yes, and he has quite a number of them. Yeah, well, new one on every backup. day. Yeah, new one every day for him. But what I really liked is, um, or rather, that like um, what what the character growth there was that once you take out of the equation like abusive parents and like this vampiric like uh, need to kill in order to continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, once those problems have been solved and he's like in a loving environment with friends who care about him and, um, his, what is in essence like a superpower disability is like, uh, is made livable. Mm -hmm. Um, what is left to the character? He's always been like a tragic villain. So I really liked having him have the confrontation with Moira where he got to have the reaction to his mom breaking bad and, that ties in the the personal touch to the Moira conflict going forward is obviously her son being part of the five and being so critical to like crack Cohen society is a big story waiting to be told. That was really nicely teed up in this hellfire gala issue. For sure. And like, yeah, Proteus, he's back. He's a person again. That's incredible. Since like the seventies, <laughs> I've been waiting for Proteus. He scared the shit out of me in the um, animated series, from the 92 animated series. The Proteus episode is so scary. anyone who's seen it probably is concurring with you but i have not oh my god he like breaks wolverine's soul and then wolverine is just left like a crying husk of fear oh wow because of the visions proteus gives to him that's intense and it's like the first time you've like well because wolverine uh, in like a scary situation on the show is the guy who like throws his body into danger heedlessly and this was uh-huh. like you messed with his mind and his perception, and that like fucked him up existentially, and thus me as a five year old. Hmm. Wow. But yeah, really right. like that issue. We're not going to be ranking it um, as just a one shot, although maybe spiritually the uh, Hellfire Gala is all part of the same entry. Just a series that has very long delays between entries. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's how we'll think about it, and it'll move up and down based on how good that year's Hellfire Gala was. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how long they keep this tradition up. I hope we keep doing it. Yeah, it's nice. It's Marvel doesn't really have very many good, like, annual traditions. Nothing that they uh, they follow through on, anyway. Yeah, that's true. But okay, um, 
we uh, Hellfire Gala I thought was really fantastic. But there's another book coming out that's going to be really interesting to our podcast in the foreseeable future. Yes. And that book is, of course, Judgment Day, um, mainly architected, which is not a word, by Kieran Gillen, who is writing both the uh, Immortal X-Men book, but also the Eternal series, which we will eventually get to in like six months. Yeah. Yeah, like six, maybe a little longer. Yeah, six or seven months. Six or seven months. Oh my god. Look hope, forward to it. I hope I don't regret this. Oh, you will. Oh, you I will. will. I will learn to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Judgment Day, uh, at the time of recording, there have been a couple of issues out. Uh, by the time this drops, a couple more will be out. What do you think of Judgment Day, Elias? I have been really loving it. Oh yeah, you said that in a weird, stilted voice. Yeah, it makes me think there's more to the story. Well, issue one was not as impactful as I thought it was going to be. Like I read issue one, and I was like, okay, I I see what's going on, but it, it didn't didn't really grab me so much. And then issue two really grabbed me. I was like, oh, now I see what we're doing with this this main book. Uh, it wasn't like when I read the first issue of War of the Realms, it was they both accomplished the same thing, which was introducing new people to this ongoing big struggle that had been happening, you know, like setting the stage for where everyone was and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But whereas War of the Realms, I thought like nailed it pitch perfect first issue, got everyone in and you're like, OK, I know what's going on. It's exciting. A lot's happening. I think that helped that Russell Dowderman genuinely is one of Marvel's best artists and it's a shame he still doesn't have an ongoing or even a mini but uh, Valerio Schiti does excellent work here I just didn't think the first issue grabbed me that much so I was like yes I like it we'll see how I feel at the end I'm sure I will really like it but I don't know if it's going to keep going up going to be kind of up and down the whole time or or what yeah I, it's just because it has to juggle a lot it has to juggle the avenger stuff it has to juggle the x-men stuff it has to juggle the eternal stuff and but there's been it feels like issue two kind of had a clarifying moment where the focus of the series you know came into view yeah i agree because so i'm, I'm sorting through this so the x-men are very central to the story because um, one, I guess villain is going to be kind of a loaded word, but the uh, main antagonistic force is Druig the Eternal, who has vowed genocide on the mutants as a weird and narrow interpretation of the uh, eternal scriptures or whatever. Right? Would you say that's an accurate summary of the uh, conflict at the beginning of issue two? Yeah, he, he's basically like, mutants are deviants. Excess de- or excess de- deviation from the norm, therefore they must be called. And he teams up with a guy who's like anything but not like you. Basically, got super Hitler, and like I don't know, like semi Hitler. He's like a Mengele. Yeah, in terms of like eugenics approach, because that that is what they're doing. Um. But he teams up with with Uranus, who's like anything that's not an Eternal is a deviant. Period. Yeah. Whereas well, Druig's like, eh, let's temper that a little bit. 
this is how I feel like, uh, this is where I feel like the story really could have used, like, the not being uh, structured like a crossover for it. <laughs> because, okay, so the X-Men are in the story because they're the targets of an evil plan. There are Eternals in the story because a couple of them are the ones, like, orchestrating said evil plan, as you're saying. Yes. But because the Eternals are Marvel superheroes with, like, pop funds and Pez dispensers and stuff, like, most of the Eternal characters who Marvel's trying to, like, market on are um, not part of the evil plan at all, but they can't, like, uh, overtake their fellow Eternal right away, so they're just kind of, like, spinning their wheels, which I think is super annoying. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And... The Avengers, as far as I can tell so far, like, uh, you know, they want to be involved because they're the Avengers and they want to be involved in fucking everything. But most of uh-huh. their involvement is that their secret base is inside of a hollowed out celestial who are the gods of the Eternals. And thus the Eternals can, like, hack into its brain computer. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a really interesting chapter in the middle of the story. Having the Avengers, like, really slowly reacting to their house coming alive and trying to kill them is, like, not a thing that you can sustain for a six-issue mini, but you could do, like, one issue in the middle, and then a couple of the X-Men and a couple of the Eternals are, like, stuck inside Avengers Mountain. Teaming up with Avengers or whatever. Just the Avengers are completely peripheral to any part of the story, and every time they're on uh, the page, everything slows to a crawl for me. Because I'm just, like, waiting for the story to start again. And honestly, same for most of the Eternals, because besides Druig and... um, Uranus? Is that the other guy? Yes. And there's another one. I don't fucking know names of Eternals. Maybe I'll be an expert in six months, but um, he goes to like one who's kind of like Metron also. This like real uh, um, like uh, amoral scientist type. Yeah. But, I don't remember his name. But so I like the X-Men as heroes because they're the ones who are, someone's trying to do a genocide against. And I like the Eternals who are villains as villains, but the heroic Eternals are doing nothing for this story, and the Avengers are do not have enough going on to justify their inclusion in the title and the ongoings. <laughs> and that's where I'm at on it. Um, I yeah. really liked at the end of the second issue where um, stuff started getting a little bit more like existential and weird, and then I'm like, oh, this is like what genre the Eternals belongs to is like cosmic metaphysics. Yeah. I, I agree that the, um, oh God, what's it called? I agree that the Avengers have felt peripheral so far. Like when you've got a title that's, um, AXE Avengers, X-Men Eternals, you expect the Avengers to kind of have more to do. And so far they haven't had that, that much to do. Yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure they'll, like, uh, Tony Stark will invent a cool laser that will let them separate the thing from the other thing, or whatever the fuck he does at the end of all of these events. hmm But, like, that's not, um, the, the, the war between the mutant nation and the, like, uh, renegade Eternals who have done a coup is the only part of the story that interests me, and everything else is a wa- seems like a waste of time so far. I mean, you couldn't call it X-Judgment Day. That just wouldn't work. X-Men Judgment Day is pretty good. And... No, not X-Men Judgment Day. E-X. Oh. <laughs> like your yeah. X. I guess they didn't call it X-E Judgment Day. Uh, they could have. Or X-Men colon the Eternal Judgment. <laughs> I guess we'll find out 
whether or not the Avengers have a big role to play. I mean, just looking at all of the um, the tie-ins, the Avengers barely make a make an appearance, but almost all the X-Men books do. Is this a good place to talk about how weird the status of Jason Aaron's Avengers run is now? Right? It's so weird because... So I, I've talked about it on this podcast before. I don't think that's an awful book. I think it's... um it's like uh it's got some good stories and it's got a lot more blah stories than good ones i have to agree and i i think i like that this run more than most i think i like this run more than most too i i really like the heroes reborn story i like the stuff he's been doing with namor and like the mm-hmm. the evil russian avengers i think when he does the weird political superhero stuff you know like squadron supreme and and colson and all that i think I'm really enjoying that a lot. And then every so often when he just goes full on weird, like Avenger, the Avengers forever stuff, the stuff he's moved over to that book. That's the kind of stuff I think he's been doing really well at, but then like age of Conchu or yeah. Age of Conchu fight for the Phoenix. Well, and it's so right there. Like this fight for the Phoenix is happening, and we're doing all this Phoenix stuff. And the X Men don't even seem like they know about it. That is, I've read every single issue of X Men in the last four years, and none of them mentioned the fight for the Phoenix in their own books. Yeah, you think like Rachel Gray would have something to say about that? I think they didn't. Wasn't there a mention of of it in Avengers X Men Eternal Axe Judgment Day? I think there, there was, was even, but yeah, it's just so weird that Jason Aaron is doing Avengers, which has been positioned for so long now as like the central storybook, and it doesn't touch upon everything. And then Khonshu can like make the moon vanish, and nobody on Earth seems to talk about it. I mean, Dan Slot blew up the moon, and no one gave a crap. Yeah, so much moon shit this year that the that Earth seems to be uh, completely missing. Yeah, um, a shame. The moon's so interesting. Right? I mean, the, the moon is much larger than it appears to be. <laughs> That's also true. The Marvel Universe's moon must be significantly less dense. <laughs> um, Before we head into the commercial, are, are there any other just like Marvel books that you're reading that you have like a strong feeling about? Want to mention? Um, I'm still so behind on all of the Star Wars books. It makes me sad because I want to talk about like Vader because I know Vader is good. Vader's but I good. just haven't read it in forever. Star Wars is good. That that uh, Bounty Hunter, Crimson Dawn crossover stuff like really uh, ground everything to a crawl. Oh, that's unfortunate. Way too much you crossover know? with a bunch mm-hmm. of books that had great momentum. Oh, I mean, I think the only books that... I mean, there's always the perennial classics of Zdarsky's Daredevil uh, and, and some others. But... I think the book that that most has been kind of been or the couple of books that that have been get getting my attention is the are the Al Ewing books. Just put him on a book and I'm reading it. Ant Man, amazing I'm... first issue with Tom Riley. Tom Riley and Jordi Belair. Ooh yeah, power team. Yeah, power absolutely. Team. And also his defenders. Uh huh. Um... Defenders Beyond. Al Ewing works with the best artists and he knows how to make them good and the artists know how to make his writing good. Perfect symbiosis. From hearing from interviews with him recently, I think he's doing, I think he he likes doing the miniseries with a cool artist where they can go really Mm -hmm. hard for a couple issues and then kind of regroup. 
Yeah. And I didn't expect we would get more defenders beyond. Or no, but it's defenders. great. It's great. And then, so I, I recently read his Loki Agent of Asgard, checked it out of the library. Oh, And then phenomenal. I reached the end of it and I went, are you fucking kidding me? That was such a good run. He, he's, if you haven't read it, it's just this nothing little Easter egg, I guess, of the first issue of Defenders, but he's tying it directly to the end of that series. I'm looking over at my trade. I love Agent of Asgard. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Yeah, Al Ewing stuff is great. Uh, the only other book I just want to give a shout out to is I loved Amazing Spider-Man number six, a.k.a. Amazing Spider-Man number 900. Mm -hmm. um zeb wells was still the writer of that it's penciled however by ed mcginnis and not the usual john romita jr um and ed mcginnis i think ed mcginnis is probably like the artist who uh cares the most deeply about visual fidelity how do you like that hmm he he's the one who's doing like an extremely like realistic style and when it can't be photorealistic it's still really um grounded he likes drawing seams on clothing and oh i see what you mean it's a cartoony but it's a very like exaggerated cartoony style kind of like how trad kind of like trad more um with yeah but like less like a transformative it's like much more representational yes. yeah but like when he draw when he draws she hulk you're like the, those are muscles they're just balloons yeah or thor you know yeah well, I, so Ed McGinnis is like a totally, you know, above serviceable. He's like, a, you got Ed McGinnis drawing your comic, that's pretty good. But yes. the, the issue was so funny and just like such a good <laughs> encapsulation of, uh, you know, the, exactly what you want to see in like an anniversary show, like a 900. And um, it just turns out that like Zeb Wells is like a good vibes writer and uh, he can make Ed McGinnis, who can sometimes be a little bit like nasty, into a really fun writer. <laughs> I loved watching uh, Peter have a romance with Doctor Octopus's disembodied metal arms. <laughs> that was very, that was very fun. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson was very scary in this issue, though. The way Ed McGinnis draws him, I don't know why, but I was afraid. Yeah, I, I don't know why either. Yeah, Ed, Ed, maybe Ed McGinnis is afraid of J. Jonah Jameson. Maybe we got it was the Living Brain. Who thought? Who would have thought the Living Brain would come back? I mean, I would. I talk about the living brain all the time. <laughs> I'm looking right now. I've been rereading Superior Spider-Man, and the living brain is very is like a Spider-Man's butler in that, and it's very cute. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought the living brain had quite literally not been seen in like 800 something issues. No, Dan Slott loves the living brain. Oh, Dan Slott Run has a bunch that. of. There's like a good living brain story playing out very slowly on the background of Dan Slott Spider-Man Run. Okay. Uh, right. Nothing like this, though. This was a whole new level. Oh, yeah. Um, highly recommend it. If you're listening and you are not a regular Spider-Man reader, this is like a perfect one to just uh, pick up and enjoy. Issue yeah. 100. There's little, if any, tie-in to the rest of the stuff. Great standalone. Good stuff. Good shit. Yeah. Um, but mostly what I've been reading... Has been X stuff. So do you want to take a commercial and when we get back we'll uh we'll talk about X? Yeah, let's talk about X. 
Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my wife, bad Dandadio impressions, this is bad, what the f***, and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and welcome back we are here to bring back a segment that hasn't been seen in what is it two months three months yeah, couple months something like that uh months june was june 2022 was the last time we uh, checked in on the x-men yeah so three months it's back to our own judgment of x yeah we're having something of a judgment day ourselves um since last we checked in, the X line has run uh, to 34 titles. This is every major title, miniseries, and what have you, uh, introduced since House of X Powers of 10, many years ago now, it feels like so long, and we've been uh, keeping up uh, an internal ranking. Uh, towards the bottom of our rank, which is where we're going to start, we're going to go back and forth and see how much agreement we have. Probably the back half of the list is going to be pretty similar to what it's been, but as we get higher, uh, we'll see stuff that has been usurping some of our old favorites, yeah? Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Without a do, you want to do this? Yeah, let's go. And we'll try to, if a series has ended and we already talked about it, we're just going to blow right past it. Yeah, I uh, right. I have them so noted. <laughs> so, number 34 on my list is Fallen Angels. As on mine. Number 33 is Wolverine. Yep. Yeah, for the disappointment factor, as much as for the quality, the low quality. Yeah, yeah. And Deadpool's been in it, and Deadpool's been fun, but it still feels so aimless. Yeah, it's just like, uh, if I wanted to aimlessly hang out with Deadpool, I could be reading all these Jerry Duggan comics I missed. <laughs> number 32 is still X-Corp. Um, my number 32 is X-Force. Oh, so we'll get to that. Um, but my next one, 31, is Way of X. My 31 is X-Men slash Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. That one, that one's fallen a little bit. No, it's been about there for the last, uh, since January. Huh. Since Hickman left my, the books. Oh, yeah. My, my number 30 is X-Lives and 10 Deaths of Wolverine, or whatever. <laughs> Uh, my number 30 is Children of the Atom, a book that feels less impactful with every passing day. Yeah. Um, my number 29 is Legion of X. Uh, my number 29 is The Excellent. Oh. A book so I haven't really been enjoying. Oh, we'll get to those in a minute. Uh, my 28 is X-Force, which I think I've just been, I think I'm still riding the high of that surfing issue. That was like a year ago now. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I'm looking at my list. I'm like, why is X-Force so high compared? But I think I've just been so disappointed in X-Corp and Way of X over time. Uh, and just the wasted potential of t 10 lives and deaths that it's it's sitting there. It might, I mean, it might fall below them next time. But for now, 
X-Force, it's still, you know, it's just like Wolverine. It's pretty aimless. It's got good art sometimes. Um, and it's but, like meaner than Wolverine. It's very excited yeah. to show us ways in which the, art, the heroes are actually bad people. And which you know, I could get behind. Yeah, but, but... it's so, if, if there was a if it was pointedly pointing out something, but it's just like, man, Colossus is sure a creep around women. And that beast is still attractive to doing war crimes, and I'm like, okay, guys, it's not that interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your twenty eight? Uh, my twenty eight is giant size X Men. Oh. My 27 is Children of the Atom. Um, my 27 is X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. We've set our piece on that. <laughs> yeah, we had a long episode about it. It was pretty disappointing. And with every passing moment, it's like, why did we get 10 issues of Ben Percy doing this when we could have gotten one issue of Jerry Duggan doing this completely more interestingly? One page of Jerry Duggan doing it. Like, one page of Jerry Duggan told me more story than 10 issues of Ben Percy. I don't know. The first issues, I I still like the first two issues. Yeah, they were like pretty well executed comics, especially for Percy doing X Men books. Yeah, which is weird because Percy on on Ghost Rider has been very good. Yeah, I've been kind of digging Ghost Rider. Yeah. So my twenty six, Marauders, by Steve Orlando. Interesting. We'll talk about that maybe sooner than you think. But my number twenty six is Way of X. Oh. My number 25 is Giant Size. My number 25 is X-Corp. My number 24 is X-Men Fantastic Four. My number 24 is Marauders by Steve Orlando. Oh. And that's a big drop. It was uh, 17 last, so from 17 down to 24. Wow. Um, And so we're about a third of the way up the list now. Yeah, and um, there's a bunch of recency bias on this list, which I will admit too yes but um man has whatever the opposite of recency biases that's how i feel about orlando's marauders right now the first issue seemed like it would be like um in the very at least like fun character work mm-hmm. and like you know like big anime spaceships or whatever and that's kind of cool yeah. um but so far since then it's been like a bunch of like every issue has like a floating action scene that seems so tethered from any feeling of like weight and stakes this but, is my problem with Steve Orlando's writing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's almost like he feels like he has to include this fight, you know, for the fans or something. But like, mm-hmm. no one's heart is in it, and like, there's never, you never feel like um, when the heroes are like shooting fire blasts at each other, no one's house is getting burned down. It's just kind of like a bunch of beams shooting past each other until it's time to break the scene. Hmm. Um, for sure. And we've been really bogged down in Shi'ar bullshit. And like, man, it really takes a really good writer to make Shi'ar bullshit shine. And Orlando has not been that writer for me. No. And even though like he's done some big shakeups for the Shi'ar bullshit, it's just it it also feels kind of floaty and aimless. Like the the Crimson Kin. And all that. I'm like, that's a, that's a fun joke. I don't know what it means. And like, n- none of the stakes have any weight to it, really. Even yeah. though, you know, Lalandra is dead now. Spoilers. Again. Again. She might be back by next issue. Maybe she'll be resurrected. That and that's was the, the implication pro- in a different book. And that's the problem. Is yeah. uh, 
a bunch of stuff happen and I'm just kind of waiting to see if it means something or if it means less than nothing. And I've got a mm. feeling it's going to be the second one. Yeah. And I like, like, I like Somnus and I like Tempo and... I like Somnus. Tempo hasn't done anything for me yet. I haven't been that impressed with Tempo, and which is a shame because I really wanted to, like, learn about her and have her be my new fave, like, uh, Grey Crow and Ninny and Orphan Maker. Yeah. But that didn't I mean, happen. Tempo, Tempo arguing with, uh, who, who is the other Chrono... Chrono Kinetic. Cable? Was was Tempo arguing with Cable? Yeah, about time travel stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was interesting enough. Yeah, that was an Okoki scene. Uh, that didn't make me want to, like, see... That, like, uh... After seeing uh, Nanny, I want to read Nanny in 100,000 books. Like, Nanny's my new favorite X-Men character, and Tempo was like, oh, I was in, like, a scene that I didn't hate. It's about the... Accepted. Yeah, that that's about the long and short of it. And I, I think the art's not doing much favors. It's kind of floaty it's yeah i like i the hate art. saying yeah okay go, i like the art, but I, I i think i agree with you in that um the, uh the art and the writing kind of share weaknesses so they're not complimenting each other yeah like this is a book. this is kind of how i feel about we only find them when they're dead i love that book and al ewing does great writing this is a boom studios book but the art on it is too shiny digital for me it's yeah i just, love the it, art in that book <laughs> it kind of feels kind of empty but not in like a void like it feels intentional like there's a lot of these like bright lights but not quite neon empty spaces and like that that's the point it's conveying this you know the vastness and the you know emptiness of space or and the societies and whatever i don't like it but I get the choice here. It feels like that, but without it being intentional. Yeah. And, um, if the writing isn't creating stakes that I at least want like an Ed McGinnis type artist would be perfect to team up with Orlando actually. Yeah. Ed McGinnis would be yeah. given like a tactile sense of place and location. Characters would look like, uh, not, you know, not like they're floating in the air, but like that they have weight on the ground. And then when Orlando is doing these chaotic scenes, uh, the the art is what will uh, keep you tethered. And when I'm afraid of Cassandra Nova, it'll be because I'm afraid of Cassandra Nova and not her, you know, jowly face. Um, Cassandra Nova is uh, my biggest disappointment because that first issue, I was so excited for this new era of Cassandra Nova as a character. And uh, since then, I haven't been that impressed. Yeah, she. I feel like she's just kind of Hannibal Lectoring it up, but not in a fun way. <laughs> Yeah, well, her status quo is like could be so interesting because Jean Grey like gave her a mental lobotomy so that she can feel uh, regret and compassion. But like, does she? She doesn't seem like she does. Well, that's what that's what should be so interesting is somebody who like who doesn't have those things as values, but now has them as like emotions and feels like mm. inconvenienced by those. Like that's such a weird alien headspace to play with for a character. And yeah, so far she just feels like a Hannibal Lecter. Like, she's the bad guy you love on your team for some reason. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if it, if it you know, improves. I'm optimistic, but yeah, not not today. Uh, what's your no. number 23? The Excellent. Let's talk about it. I have it high because I, I kind of enjoy the chaos of that book. It's... You know, I'm enjoying it more than, say, Marauders or these other ones, which are leaving me just disappointed. The excellent, I knew what I was getting, and what I got is, you know, exactly what I wanted. 
but again, I felt like the original series, and by extension this one, is much more of an interesting piece of art to look at and experience than it is something that I necessarily enjoy reading and would be like, yes, you need to read this. Like, I don't think I could recommend this book to very many people. It's just so weird. Yeah, I mean, so you never read Ecstatics, the, the comic that is now collected as Ecstatics, right? I, so... I have never read the part that used to be X-Force. I think I missed a volume because I started with Ecstatics Volume 1, which collected the beginning of Ecstatics. But yes, I have read the previous run. Yeah, so this is like a... It feels very of a kind to me with like Latter-day Claremont stuff. Mm-hmm. Where um, like Claremont was the hottest shit in the world from 1975 to 1992. <sighs> Then he kind of disappears for about 10 years. And then like in like around 2000, he starts creeping back into the books and he's completely lost his fastball. And some days that means um, you're reminded of why he used to be so great, even if he's not anymore. And some days you're just like, what the hell is this? Where uh, he just like, no one says no (laughs) to him. So he thinks of his freakiest ideas. Uh Uh-huh. And um, that's what ecstatics kind of feels like to me is... The original run of Ecstatics is a very exciting, very relevant, very flawed comic mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot of good stuff to say. It has a lot of good questions and very precious few good answers to those questions. Yeah. And this doesn't feel like it has any good questions. This just feels like uh, we're reheating the leftovers. Like uh, nobody's... Yeah, the artwork is good because I always like all red art, but... I kind of appreciate that feeling, though. Like, that that feeling permeates the books and permeates the characters, too. Like, what does it mean to stay relevant, and how do you stay relevant, and, like, what happens when you're miserably failing at it? Um, because you're out of touch. I, I, this, this <laughs> I don't is... know if Milligan's actually out of touch, but, like, I feel like the, the, the book is doing exactly what it did 15 years ago, currently, and I think that's fine for the book. If I'm going to get excited about an ecstatics book right now, it needs to be like feel contemporary and have something to say about the current moment and not just be kind of like navel gazing about uh, age and stuff. Like, uh, I would love to see ecstatics grapple with uh, Krakoa stuff. But what I'd really like to see ecstatics grapple with is like the last five years of American politics and history. Yeah. That's what needs... Like, um, I want to see like... Uh, what the ecstatics look like in the era of like Logan Paul, you know? Yeah. And, and these creators who, who are still like caught up on the way the media covered princess Diana aren't exactly, uh, saying anything that's like illuminating about our current affair. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get more of that in season two. Yeah. I, I would love it. That book. I would love if that book ever arrives. What was your number 23? My number 23, the only new book on this list, is Judgment Day. Whoa. That's so, far down. It's pretty far down. I have liked some of the tie-ins, which we'll talk about in those series proper as we get higher up on the list. But, like, so far, I find Judgment Day to be um, a pretty typical Marvel event somewhere between, um, what's, like, Somewhere like in the zone between War of the Realms, Secret Empire, and Avengers vs. X-Men. Those um, are three wildly different qualities of books. It's definitely like a war kind of book. Um, 
Oh, you mean in terms of like what is happening and not necessarily the quality of what is happening. Yeah, Kieran Gillen executing comic scripts are is already better than like 10 different guys 10 years ago doing that mm-hmm. same thing in Avengers versus X-Men. Yes. But a lot of those flaws like whenever you read one of those Marvel events, you turn to the first page and you see your uh all your persona, right? You got all your, your list of characters. Yep. And and then you're just going through them and you're just like, wait, so like, why is Iron Fist here? And it's because Iron <laughs> Fist has like one line on a page. Oh, yeah. Or, or whatever. And it just feels stretched thin. It's not a story about characters. It's a story about these like huge ideas. It's just like spreading itself all over the place for the event feeling when I would much rather be in the room with like Druig and Xavier or whatever, or Hope. And... um and like only following them just all this time when we're like, and now we're going to see how it's unfolding on this end of Krakoa. And this character is going to be fighting. Mm. It's like, a, it just feels like, um, it just feels like an a overview. It feels like a board game to me, not like a story. Mm. You got to do the same kind of mental work to bring the story out of it that you would with a board game where like pieces are moving around and there's winners and there's losers, but none of it's really emotional. It's just tied up in the, uh, the concept of victory. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we'll talk, talk about it a little more when, when we get to it on my list. Sure. Uh, in a while. <laughs> uh, but my number 22 is Empire X-Men. Ding, ding, ding. It's our day first daily hey. double. Hey. No, it's not. We had some lower lists that matched up. But yeah, Empire X-Men is also my 22. Well, I, we, I feel like we can't count Wolverine and Fallen Angels because they're almost always at the same place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes Wolverine will move around a little bit but not by much um, Empire X-Men actually snuck up a little bit when I was comparing it to um, X-Corp and Marauders and how I felt about Judgment Day and I was just like Empire X-Men was a blast I can remember yeah. so much of that I remember what Wanda was up to the Explodey Boy finale how Horticulture got looped in for just, sure like, that was a delightful four issues Yeah, Empire X-Men is probably going to stay high in the middle of the pack for me for a long time. Just because, like, some of the highs of of the X-Line have been so high. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, What do you got for 21? Uh, Cable. I got Juggernaut. And I've got Juggernaut at number 20. Yeah, so similar zone. Um, Every time I'm like, should I knock Juggernaut down a little bit? Like Then I remember I love D-Cell. Got <laughs> I've been waiting for D Cell to show back up. I know, and I'm just like, if I care this much about this one-off character who was used in the Juggernaut miniseries by Fabio Nicieza, like 20 years after he got fired from X Men, then uh, <laughs> I need to get fired from X Men. That's not a nice thing to say, but uh, yeah, D Cell is clearly a legendary character who needs to be in everything. She should be on the Quiet Council. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want Ron Garney to draw another series. Yeah, he that was great. Yeah. I think I, he's probably got something in the works somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, my number 19. Uh, what's your number 20? Uh, my number 20 is Excalibur. Oh, probably the lowest ni- la- ranked of the uh, like main series. Not by Percy. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for you, for sure. Yeah. Um, my number 19 is going to disappoint you. What's that? It's Marauders by Jerry Duggan. Um, you might be surprised to find where I have Marauders on this list. 
Although although it's now now that's middle of the pack. Like I think that might be smack dab, almost in the middle of our list. Yeah. Now seventeen is the midpoint. Seventeen is the midpoint right now. Anyway, what's your number nineteen? Uh, my number nineteen is Inferno by Jonathan Hickman. Oh, hurts me to see it that far down. Yeah, a little bit me too. But like, uh, it... you just you just enjoy so many of the other series. Yeah, there's so much I enjoy about the other series, and Inferno was like, um, Inferno was not all it was supposed to be. It felt like, uh, it didn't feel like as much of a conclusion, kind of felt like he was taking his hat on the way out the door. Mm. Uh, Which isn't to say, yeah, which it it was good. Just like all these other ones have given me such uh, constant joy, and uh, Inferno definitely happened. All right. So, number 17, the inflection Uh, point. Did we uh, skip 18? Did we skip 18? My number 19 Maybe. is Inferno. I haven't said my 18. Oh, yes. My number 18 is Excalibur. Um, we've talked a great deal about Excalibur, and we, yeah. and I don't want to like throw shade at that book. It just uh, had long periods of time when I was not that excited to read it. And sometimes yeah, when I was very It had excited. too many lulls. Yeah. Um, my number 18 is Devil's Reign, X-Men. Ooh. Well, Which, like, and now we're officially in the zone of, I like these books. Oh, yeah. Juggernaut's no, we kind, of, kind the, uh, of already in that zone, but yeah, Juggernaut's usually my uh, my fulcrum point. It's the one that uh, <laughs> means the least that I enjoyed the most. So once we're past Juggernaut, we're in like fun stuff. Oh yeah. So now my number seventeen is the original Hellfire Gala. Another daily double. That's my number seventeen. Is the original Woo! Hellfire Gala. <laughs> so well, fun to think six... back at that. That was just like such a what a shocker of a book when they terraform the fucking planet. Wow. Yeah, well, that wasn't even just in one issue. It was planet-sized X-Men. And then the rest of it was all the fallout and dealing with the different people. Just a ton of fun all around. Yeah, cool way to do an event. Yeah. Number 16 is X-Men by Jerry Duggan. My number 16 is Legion of X by Seisberg. Okay, which let's fell talk down... about that. Yeah, that fell from last time. That was at 13 last time we checked in. That's down to 16 now. Yeah, I don't know. My Mine fell a little bit. Yeah, my, no, mine, mine, uh, no, Legion of X actually went up for me because Way of X and X Lives deaths went down. Um, interestingly enough, that is interesting. I, um, Legion of X is probably my favorite thing Cy Spurrier has written in years. Really? Yeah. I, uh, oh, I just remembered he did that Constantine that you love so much, and that one's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, He's written some pretty pretty good stuff that's not Marvel. Yeah. Um, and this is... And the uh, Legion of X is unquestionably his best X-Men stuff in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I like all of the work he's doing with characters that he cares a lot about. And I actually have grown to like his perspective on, like, day-to-day life in Krakoa. Um, there's so few books that take place on Krakoa where you get, like, any feel of how people are living, right? That's true. Just, like, I don't know what people's bedrooms look like if they're not Scott Summers, Jean Grey, and Wolverine. (laughs) And, uh... Fair point. Like, they must have, like, restaurants now. I know they have the one bar, like, uh... Yeah, it's feeling like we're exploring the society as opposed to big adventure plot points. Yeah, it's stuff like, I feel like Legion of the X is, is the only book where, like, somebody has a relationship like they are neighbors who wake up around the same time and see each other, like, over the fence. 
Yeah. You get little moments like that where people are like on their way from one place in Krakoa to another place to do something wild. And then they like bump into each other and uh, share a thought. Mm hmm. I just like um, Spurrier is doing some cool stuff with Legion of X, even if the Spurrier thing is not my favorite thing. Yeah, it's still. I mean, it's just. <sighs> Why is he only right Legion? I'm I don't know. so tired of of Cy Spurrier writing this smug ass Legion. I wanted a Nightcrawler book, and we haven't gotten it. And at least now it's more truthful. It's Legion of X, but none of it interests me. It's all none of it interests me, and I think that's its ultimate failing, and why it's so low on my book. Not necessarily because it's poorly constructed, necessarily, or the the art bothers me. Like none of that. It's just. I have not bought into the book and it has not given me a reason to. And it, so it just sits at the bottom and it hasn't like slapped me across the face like way of X did. Yeah. That book was a, uh, was a real bummer. Yeah. It sucks. Cause that one started off as one of my favorites. Um, well, I'm going to keep an eye on Legion of X. I think it could still uh, do great things. Uh, this mm-hmm. crossover event is definitely not doing it any favors. No, but we won't see it, it cross over for another two issues anyway. <laughs> there, uh, was a, there was a note in in uh, Judgment Day 2, no, in X-Men Red, that said the events in this, which take place during Judgment Day 2, will be referenced in Legion of X-6. Uh, welcome to Marvel Comics, everybody. Yeah, welcome to Marvel Comics, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> what do you got at 15, my friend? I've got Devil's Reign X-Men. Just a ton of fun across the board. Uh, it's It was the cable team, but I enjoyed what they did more. I think it's just because they were able to be more focused. And, you know, it's it's grown on me. It grows on me a little bit. Far more than, than some of the other series. I it, it had a really, like, vividly real-feeling New York. And, like, it really yes. felt like it was taking place over one bad, crazy weekend in New York City in a way that, like, no Krakoa book has made Krakoa feel as vibrant as that book did with New York City. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, My number 15 is X-Men Volume 6 by Jerry Duggan. Ooh, so let's talk about that. Yeah, let us talk about that. (laughs) So I guess it's it's not in the top 10, but it's still pretty high up. Like, we've we've both got it above our, our halfway point. So... Is it higher or lower than it was for you last time? Um, it is, in fact, exactly the same. I had it at 15 last time. It remains at 15. Oh, wow. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. I, um, I enjoy... When I look back on that book, I think I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed reading it. A lot of the time, I was kind of like waiting for something to happen, and then I look back, and I'm like, oh, I guess some things did happen. Is it over? Yes, it is over. Um, Duggan is still on X-Men, but next time it will be called X-Men Volume 7 by by Duggan. Wait, are they relaunching this book every year now? I think so. Oh, God. Yeah, don't love that publication-wise, but as far as the uh, creative team is concerned, um, that book did such good stuff with villains. Oh, my God. I'm I'm trying to find... I'm sorry, I'm fact-checking you, because I'm like, I don't believe it. I refuse. I mean, was uh, what was the last issue, and what's and is, are they soliciting the next one? I don't know. To the internet. This is. I'm just doing this as a favor to you because I know this is going to drive you crazy. 
It is going to drive me crazy. I don't. I don't see. They haven't solicited it. They haven't solicited anything. Well, they, they the last issue by Duggan, which was issue. Oh no, I found solicits. You found solicits. I am incorrect. They're not changing the numbering. Issue uh, thirteen is going to be the next issue, and that's oh, gonna, thank goodness. And that's going to be a crossover with uh, Judgment Day. Phew. It's got Cersei and Ikari on the cover. I know their names. I deserve a hundred dollars. <laughs> um, can't give it to you sorry honestly uh, Duggan's X-Men is the book that could benefit the most from a crossover huh because Duggan's X-Men does not take place on Krakoa as many books do not it takes place mostly mm-hmm. in New York City and like across the, the world of Marvel and so having the X-Men have like a big response to Eternal, Celestials, Avengers, whatever. It should be happening in the flagship X-Men superhero team book. That's fair. And that's like a good conflict. They're, they're the national team of Krakoa, so they should be uh, on the world stage. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's... It's just... Uh, it's been It's just been okay. And I don't know what the this next era is going to be like uh it looks like it's not gonna it looks like it's just gonna be a lot more uh well with the change up a change in lineup from from the hellfire gala yeah this new lineup is a mess <laughs> you got wasn't Forge. that be, wasn't that part of the vote yeah it was like, don't I mean, we've oh ow. we the humans yes we the humans um i voted uh one member of the roster is elected every year by poll online do we know who won I didn't, I didn't vote. I think it was Firestar. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, there's some Gen X. That was a really that was a really nice setup in in Hellfire Gala. Right. Well, and that's the interesting new status quo is you got Firestar is like has dubious loyalties because she's getting played against. You know, they're planning to get moves against her. She's being uh, leveraged for intelligence. Yep. And then you got um, Havoc fucking mess alex summers you do not want him on your team and also he's still infected by evil from hell oh that... but that's gonna be great that's I don't know, be yeah, yeah for drama book. i'm excited for the book just like i can't believe the x-men as people elected these putzes and then you got forge on the team and i just feel like any team with forge does not also need havoc hmm that's just like too much broy asshole vibes on that team they're gonna be uh yeah you need like a softer boy to balance them out besides scott summers yeah. Um, and then, like, Iceman is uh, is a mess, too. Iceman's, like, a chaotic gay. It's going to so, be fun. It's going to yeah. be fun. It's going to be a shit show, but I'm going to love it. <laughs> I've also, I think I figured out finally why Zeb Wells is not writing any books and why Hellion, Hellions came to an end. Oh, why is that? Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's doing a big flagship book. That, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Zeb Wells should come in and do a couple issues of X-Men. I'm like, he's doing Spider-Man. Yeah, and I, I, I'm excited to let Duggan keep on it. I Duggan yeah. feel Duggan makes a reader feel confident that he's got a long game and that it's a worthwhile game. Yeah, uh, I, I feel I, that. I I think he's been letting it fall apart a little in the short game. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But when he hits, like when he hit the Ben Urich breakout. 
you know, the story when Scott goes to him, I'm like, that is a great resolution to the things that we had gotten to get to this point. And Duggan is great at coming up with conflicts that aren't always punchy, kicky laser conflicts. Yes. Because, um, like, that Ben Urich thing was gripping, and it was just about, like, journalistic ethics. <laughs> For sure. Um, good writer, that Jerry Duggan. Very a little, good. A, bit, a little bit less consistent than some of the other guys on the top half of this list, though. Yeah. All uh, right. What, number 14. Yep. Knights of X. Daily Double. That's my Knights of X is at 14. My 14 wow. is Knights of X. So now we can talk about it. Finding out it's a miniseries actually kind of makes me want to drop it down a little bit. Well, I'm not going to drop it down until we reach the end. Yeah. Because we will we'll have to see how does it conclude and is Teeny Howard are they like are they forcing her to launch another series with a new name or are they just like we need to cut down on the number of books we're publishing and yours is getting cut? I mean Which the suck. The Excalibur Magic Mutant thing is always the the bubble book. Yeah. Um Knights of X though made Otherworld feel really vivid in the first time since uh in since X of Swords. Mm-hmm. Um, like, seeing the Furies uh, rampage across the crooked market, like, all those proper nouns I just used feel meaningful to me now, and not like they're just charts. <laughs> and uh, Knights of X has been the best Gambit character work we've gotten in, since the Krakow era, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, I kind of wish it was called, like, Gambit and the Knights of X or something. <laughs> something to draw readers in yeah and we'll talk about this in the positive in a little bit but that's with like so teeny howard was like there's nine guys on this team and some of them you understand like richter and shatterstar are probably right so richter and shatterstar are on the team i never really think she's going to do a richter and shatterstar story i just think they'll be on a page while something else is happening and they'll have like a fun reaction mm. same with jubilee and then you introduce, like, Kylan, who's a character I have never read an issue for. That is in a hole in my X-Men reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, they, you know, he's a weird little mole man, and he has sound powers. Like, bring it on. This sounds cool. But, yeah, then the book's ending before he's gotten any issue focusing on him. Just, like, a couple of scenes where he, again, is just reacting. He, has no, he doesn't have any motivation. And yeah. then the one that's the biggest wasted opportunity to me is Mordred who Teeny Howard was right. establishing she was doing all this cool retconning of the Marvel King Arthur stuff by jacking it into some X-Men. And I'm totally about that. I like the idea of having a heroic Merlin in the backstory of, or heroic Mordred, rather, in the backstory of Marvel, who was a mutant. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like an entire book. And so far, like that kind of got announced and has had very little to do with um, the action on the page. Which yeah. has had a lot more to do just... with like the other world lords being prejudiced against the, the mutants and witch breed and mm -hmm. uh and these stranded x-men fighting back even though they're like in desperate straits like that that's what the book should be about and everything else i just said should not be in it <laughs> it should just be the bad gambit uh, just mordred. get rid of everything well just like it should be gambit and mordred and betsy and they can like bump into other characters on the way but i don't need this to be a team book because it's not a team book it's really just about those three people or should be those are the three most interesting yeah. threads. It, it kind of, it sucks because I really loved all the Jubilee stuff at the beginning of Excalibur. And then we didn't really get a lot of that. Like Shogo, Shogo was there as a dragon. And God, the more I talk about X-Men 
in this and it's like, oh yeah, the the person who can shoot fireworks from her hands, uh, her son turned into a dragon when in this other universe that's uh, on the other side of Britain. Oh, and all of the, uh, you know, King Arthur characters are there and Merlin kind of sucks. And that's a perfect example of uh, where the book has been failing to deliver for me is like, so Shogo is a dragon in Otherworld. But is that like a problem and a conflict? It just seems like every so often Shogo is in danger. And then you're like, oh, it's a little weird that this dragon is secretly a baby. But like Jubilee mm. doesn't stop putting him in danger. It's not that Jubilee wants to keep him safe, but other people are pushing her or that she wants to push him into action. And other people think that there's no conflict in it. It's just every so often um, Shogo is a dragon. And I don't understand <laughs> like why, why to be invested in that. Besides, it's cool that a baby is a dragon sometimes. Because it's, it's a cool that the baby is a dragon sometimes. I don't even really feel like I have a good idea of how Jubilee feels at any given moment about that. Yeah. And they're all kind of trapped. What I wonder is with, I think we only have one issue left that we haven't read. I think it'll be coming out like the week of or the week after this episode drops. Mm-hmm. I like, that's one issue left. They're still trapped in other worlds, technically. And like I just, yeah. The the more the more I think about this miniseries thing, the the sadder I get, because there was so much potential, and now it feels like it's being cut short. Yeah, and it felt like it should be. It felt very ambitious, so it's a shame. Yeah, to see it get cut down so quick. Uh how sad. What's your number thirteen? My number thirteen. Da, 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 X of Swords. Daily Double, number 13's My X of Swords, which is actually up from 16 last time. Ooh. Since last time I have finished rereading X of Swords, X of Swords is a bop. I thought when X of Swords was coming out, I was just like, well, it's no Hoxpox, but that's impossible. But a couple years later, I was like, X of Swords ruled. X of Swords is so fun. Yeah, now that we're now that we're far enough out of it and could appreciate the whole, I, just like, I still, that twist... Well, and just, like, grab the hardcover and read it through. It's a really coherent comic, and that's crazy considering the the hardcover jumps from issue to issue to issue across the different series. Yeah, right. Like, not, doesn't miss a step. The best execution I've actually ever seen of a comic book crossover. I've been complaining about this in my Batman stuff. Granted, yeah. I haven't been reading the additional things, but, like... I read Bat- Bruce Wayne Murderer and Bruce Wayne Fugitive, which jumped from book to book to book to book, and that those two were a slog and boring. Yeah, and X of Swords, like, like even even the Ben Percy Wolverine issue that completely slows down, and it's like, this is just about Wolverine fighting one guy, was a pretty cool fight and had a hilarious, meaningful twist ending. Right? Yeah, and I was just like, so probably the best issue in the whole Percy run was the X of Swords tie-in. <laughs> I think that jumped it like very far up when when we first when we were doing this then. I think you're uh, right. I can go back and yeah. check. But uh yeah, just like I uh, can't say enough uh, about the delight that is X of Swords, which tells you how strongly I feel about books 12 through 1. Oh yeah. What's number 12 or my number 12 is Trial of Magneto? My number 12 is X Factor. Oh, that's my number 11. Um Another really good book that got cut down too soon, and yeah. we still haven't read, like, the great Leo Williams epic that she is going to write one day, and I can just feel it. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's not going to be the excellent, or not, uh, the extremist, because that's, I think, solicited as a mini. I mean, it could be, uh, but yeah, 
She's oh, probably that's true. It's, it's probably like it, it's probably just going to be a, it's probably just going to be a really good miniseries. <laughs> Only. Yeah. What's your number 11? My number 11 is Cable. Ooh. My Hand number that series 10. to someone who doesn't know Cable. They'll know yeah. Cable at the end of it. For sure. Uh, my number 10 is Sabretooth. My number 10 is Trial of Magneto. Ooh. Well, I think Sabretooth is now going to be called Sabretooth the Adversary, because as we found out, it is a miniseries and part of a trilid triptych of miniseries. Yeah, interesting how we'll have to consider how we're going to include that moving forward. Yeah. Um, number nine, I have AXE Judgment Day. Wow, you have that quite high, so you've really been enjoying it. I really have. It's uh, that second issue. That second issue really got me. It would not have sit, sat this high if I'd only read issue one. Uh, but with issue two, I'm so jazzed to see where it's going. And like, you hate the Kieran Gillen Eternals voice, and I love it. <laughs> so that I think explains a big difference in where we're sitting this too. Because like I... one third of the title is something you you have no time for. And I'm like, two-thirds to three-thirds of this, I'm pretty down for. I I guess I need to come to grips with the fact that what Eternals is going to be in Marvel Comics in the near future is just going to be some Kieran-ass shit. <laughs> because that's what's always, like, um, some, Kieran Gillen is very good at deflating a moment or a character when they have, like, a big epic pompous thing. He'll, like, let the air out of them. Yes. In a way that Jonathan Hickman would never do. Hickman likes a, likes a pointed landing of his big moments. And Kieran will have like a funny offhand line after a big moment. And yes. that seems like a really weird vibe to me for Eternals. Eternals seems so self-serious that the comedy is like kind of grating to me. That's fair. Um, That's fair. We'll, we'll see how you think about it when we get, get to that point in our, in our Eternals run. Well, and I'm going to have some positive thing to say about Eternals in just a minute. But um, that was number nine? Yes. My number nine is S-W-O-R-D, Sword. Fun. My number eight is Inferno. My number eight, down from where it was before, is Sabretooth. Ooh. Still pretty high, though. Really high. We should talk about that, because I don't think we've talked about it since it ended. No, and um, yeah, I... It, so it's dropped a little bit for me. I thought the last Same. issue was the weakest of the four. Yes. Um, but also now we know it's like a triptych or whatever because it and it asked all these interesting questions and then it just kind of ended with a to be continued. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, and like we still don't know precisely why everyone was uh, imprisoned and what their crimes were and how they feel about the crimes and how they feel about the imprisonment, like. There's some characters who are still extremely mysterious. Mm-hmm. Necra, is that her name? I think so. I get that she's, like, dumb and powerful, and that's kind of her bag, but, like, yeah, she not really doesn't feel like that deep a character to me. And, like, I don't think that we really reconciled with the criminal justice system or the lack thereof and how Sabretooth fits into it. I think we're going to get... Because it's been, it's, you know, announced and planned as a three-part miniseries, not three miniseries that are all connected. Kind of like how Dark Horse does all their stuff. Yeah, I'm sure um, Um, mm -hmm. I'll have a stronger, when when it's had a chance to end properly, I'll have a stronger thing to say about it. Yeah, but for now, the ending was kind of a, a, 
a balloon deflating on something that was very exciting and it's still very exciting but not as it doesn't stand on its own as well without the knowledge that there's more coming yeah um it, it felt so urgent and now i'm just like oh i guess i'll wait until they feel like getting there <laughs> yeah all right my number seven is sword um sword sword is way good i think we're gonna end up talking about a lot of its characters and themes in a moment though yeah what's your number seven my number seven is x-men volume five by jonathan hickman Ooh. my number six is new mutants uh my number six uh up from where it was previously ranked is also new mutants <laughs> hey another concurrence it like really doesn't hurt that um right now uh Vida Ayala is writing about some of my favorite X-Men characters. Oh, which ones? Oh, well, Magic uh, and Co. Magic and Wolfsbane and Danny and Karma and Madeline Pryor all being cool witches. And then she brought Colossus in. This is probably the only time I've like liked and been interested in what Colossus has been up to in a couple of years. Oh, well, I mean, he's mostly been farming in Russia and being deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, being like a misogynist murderer slash um, gaslighting domino. Yeah, Colossus is like really awful with women, but it was like nice to see him confronting his flaws as they pertain to his sister. Yes. Um, and I all those other Colossus appearances kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, oh, this is no good. And this, like, made me... The, the story was definitely, like, taking him to task for his creepy behavior. Mm-hmm. New Mutants is the weirdest book to talk about because it's been so many different things. Yes, it's been so many different things, but it's been so good recently that, like, the weird speed bump in the middle that wasn't so good has kind of been paved over at this point. Yeah, and it's got my favorite art in comics of the last couple of years. I cannot get enough of Rod Reese. Rod Reese and Yandersima. Yeah. Yandersima? Uh, Yandersima, uh, the Star Wars artist <laughs> whose name is more like a Star Wars character than the character she's drawing. Is that how it's pronounced? Um, I mean, I can't be 100% sure, but I did uh, cover her uh, Star Wars comics a couple of years ago for uh, Multiversity Summer Binge. Ooh. I, I didn't know she did I didn't know she did oh she's actually most famous for her Star Wars comics and she is the longtime art partner of writer John Ostrander who created the Suicide Squad in 85 uh... and uh, made Barbara Gordon Oracle uh, gender some on him have done a ton of good comics together very interesting and like uh I, we were talking before about like uh greats kind of losing their fastball has not lost her fastball she's doing ex- some of her career best work in X-Men right now Oh yeah, that those uh, flashbacks, storybook page, whatever's killing it. Yeah, anyway, old school vibe, new <laughs> school colors. I I love it. Yeah, just like uh, right now, New Mutants is running high, and there it has been so high so many times, and then fallen not so low, just a little bit, and then it comes back up. Mm-hmm. What's your no? Or my number five is Hellions. My number five is Marauders Volume 1 by Jerry Duggan. The lowest it has ever been on my list. Wow. Uh, recency bias. And that uh, we talked about this last time. That book did not end as strong as it started. And recently yeah. I've been blown away by a bunch of things. 
for sure. Yeah, it, it's. I'm not surprised that it has fallen. Um, like number five is still well within where I think this book would sit on your list. If you were saying like this was number twelve, now I'm like, what happened? I mean, we might get there one day because I'm very excited about everything higher up than this. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, so my number four is surprisingly Immortal X Men. Uh, interesting. We'll have to be talking about that not this precise moment because my number four is Hellions. Ooh, yeah, I'm still loving Hellions. Such, still loving Hellions. <laughs> it's over. But that book was has only gotten better in my estimation over time. That book was electric. I feel like that book did more to put Mister Sinister where he is than even some of the other great writers. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And like so much of the the books we've been talking about, the goal of those books is to take characters that maybe you don't care about and teach you to care about them. This and is one of the gold standards of that. Of all time. And like just taking the, some of the shittiest superhero comic characters introduced as, as like garbage ideas by creators on an off week. And now they're all <laughs> nanny and orphan maker. John Greycrow. I want to read a Greycrow series where he like it goes after Punisher or something that would rule. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So my number three is X-Men by Hickman. Three. It's so solid. We talked about this time and again, and uh, I really appreciate where you got it. But longtime listeners will know X-Men Hickman has been my number two for quite a while. It was dethroned for a while by X-Force or X-Factor, not X-Force, X-Factor. Uh, and then switched when X Factor had its unceremonious end, but yeah, we've got a new number two for me. What's your number three? My number three, and now we will talk about it, is Immortal X Men. Hey. Um. I guess where do we start? <laughs> I know where to start because I, I've been teasing this the whole episode. Immortal X Men is the book that is doing character focus the best. It's got a pretty large ensemble, right? Like, uh, there's 12 people on the Quiet Council, plus a couple of, like, spots that have been rotating, plus Krakoa and and Doug Cypher has been there. Like, a, a ton of characters. Uh-huh. Yeah. And But every issue has one of those characters on the cover, and you see from their perspective, and it kind of intertwines current events with their history. Mm-hmm. And... And every single issue has been, like, perfect, right? Like, there was an issue that was about Hope. And um, and she's, a, like, a cool character who Karen Gillan has long liked writing. And she's been yeah. great She's been great in this. There was that Destiny issue, which was tremendous. But the most recent issue that I've read is the one about um, Exodus. Now, since the beginning of Krakoa, Exodus has been very much like the one of these things just doesn't belong. <laughs> We're like... Magneto, I get. Apocalypse, I get. Mystique, Sinister. These are like the heavy-hitting X-Men villains. But like, fucking Exodus, really? Um, And they were saying he's one of the most powerful mutants and he's so important to their government and their culture. And now with this issue, I have like a really solid grasp of his character. Don't you feel that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, at first I thought he was just like the the proselytizer who stands by a fire and indoctrinates children. I mean, that's what he was. Yeah, for a couple of years. That was the only time you ever saw him. Even though he was, like, at the meetings. Yeah. He rarely talked. But now, 
I have a much better sense of, of who he is and, and what, I guess, what motivates him. Like, I had no idea what motivated him. How much of, and do you know how much of this backstory was, is a retcon here? Or how much of it is just Kieran Gillen going, this is his backstory, let me present it in a way that's interesting and intertwines with all this stuff? Uh, precious little of it was uh, retcon. Like, uh, most oh, of good. the scenes they showed in the flashback have been scenes that we've uh, seen before. Like, oh. uh, him being awoken by Magneto and then going off together, and him thinking Magneto was the messiah or a prophet. That was a comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, his conflict with Apocalypse has been shown before. Not um, him meeting the phoenix in the desert, though. That was new, I think. I don't ever recall that, but that's but him going to the desert's not new. What an amazingly biblical image. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Now, I want to make one thing clear, which is that despite the fact that I've been talking small amount of trash on this podcast about Kieran Gillen's uh, Eternals, he is my favorite comic writer. He's my number one boy. And mm-hmm. and that issue with Exodus, that was an issue that like needed Kieran Gillen's voice on it. That thing that's not working for me in Eternals, where he really made Exodus um, into like an intelligent, thoughtful, religious person. Like, written like a a person who thinks about religion all the time isn't going to be just a zealot with, like, closed-off ideas. They're really going to have considered the nuance of their their stance. Yeah, he's he's a religious scholar. Yeah, Uh, and I liked him as a mm -hmm. scholar and as a knight. Yeah, all these elements that they were bringing in are just like, uh, I'm like, okay, I I am ready for Kieran Gillen to write an Exodus solo series. Yeah, and he feels old in that way. Like, he basically was transported from the Crusades to... Like the 1600s. From the 1600s? I think he gets... Uh, he fights in the Crusades and then he's around until like a little later and then he gets entombed. Ah, uh, okay. And then he's awoken in the 1600s by Apocalypse? I got. I gotta double check the uh, timeline yeah. on this, but uh, something like well, that. Well, like, the way he thinks about... Like the way he approaches religion is a very old way in that like you have one book and you study it and you learn it, you know, it back to front and everything else is kind of like talking about it or whatever. But, you know, you only own one book. <laughs> it's on a scroll or whatever. Um, um, Exodus like is from the 12th very... century. Hmm? 12th century. 12th century. Okay. Like the exegesis the way he is approaching all of the all of his religious texts and whatnot is is focused instead of kind of wide but because of that he's not he's not necessarily just a, a zealot who doesn't think deeply about it as you were saying and then the that Kieran Gillen humor is really fun for like that scene where um it's Exodus Emma and Hope and Hope is cursing a lot. And then uh, Exodus's reaction, he, uh, or Emma's reaction first is just, she's just like, wow, I you never let me forget you were raised in an irradiated future wasteland. And uh, <laughs> and Exodus was just like, wow, my Messiah has a dirty mouth. <laughs> and right, like having him be kind of like innocent, scandalized religious guy was like a very funny touch there that like, but like he was kind of being self-deprecating. It was just like, really, I want to hang out with him now. Which is shocking, considering we definitely didn't two years ago. For years, I've been saying, like, they're going to do an Exodus issue that's really going to hit strong, like that Mystique issue. or And I think this was it. 100%. Justifies his existence there and, you know, 
he fights a dragon. Yeah, and he seems really delighted by it. <laughs> um, We've been going on a really long time, but I think I know the last couple of books that we have to talk about. And one of them I think we want to talk about quite a bit. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to guess that your number one and number two have not swapped places from last time. You are incorrect. They have, in fact, exactly swapped places. Oh, so number two for me is X-Men Red, but number two for you is House of X, Powers of Ten. That is correct. And my number one is X-Men Red. Wow. X-Men Red is one of the- after a while. X-Men Red is currently one of the best comics I've ever read. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you on that. I can see why you would do it because you've had House of X, Powers of Ten below Marauders by Jerry Duggan before. I have a decision. And also, I disagree with. Also, a Trial of Magneto. I had at number one at one point. Yeah, I still. I still hold. I have not read a more consistently great comic than House of X, Powers of Ten, but X Men Red's getting there. Immortal X Men also is really, really, really good, but X Men Red, I just. I left that that book far more electrified than Immortal X-Men. I don't I could not tell you why. Every single thing that we've said positively about every book in places number my places number 2 to 34 X-Men Red does the same shit and does it better. Like the world yeah. building and creating like a a real strong sense of place. It does the best. The characterization it does the best. The like big epic moments that Hickman did so well it does the best, but also like the quiet funny moments that Kieran Gillen does so well it does the best. X-Men Red and is the... just like, like firing mm-hmm. on every cylinder right now. And I we've not been talking about, but I only this morning I read the um, X-Men Red, the first crossover issue for uh, AXC Judgment Day. Oh. Holy shit. You know what that reminded Holy me shit. of? That reminded what? me of the best writing of Robert Kirkman. That oh, felt, that felt like an issue of like Invincible, where like Kirkman would really sell you on the fact that like these people could like tear a person limb from limb. It, it's like effort for them not to tear a person from limb from limb because they're so powerful. Mm-hmm. And so like having this unstoppable eternal just slaughtering all these powerful mutants was like really scary. And um, and we haven't seen such like a mass death of mutant characters yet, really. Um. Certainly not so brutal since the the era began. Like, it really set the stakes of me of the war in a way that the main Judgment Day series didn't. And, like, me and um, I have not read enough of Eternals to have, like, a strong sense of Uranus as a character. But, like, that uh, he is established for me in that X-Men Red issue. I don't know how much there actually is. Um, they, there were a few references. I don't know if it was in this one or in Judgment Day or in Immortal X Men. On one of the books, one of those three, there were a bunch of references to stuff we will be reading about, uh, in like the Dreaming Celestial Saga and, you know, OG Eternals and all that kind of all that good stuff. Um, it's gonna well, be fun. hopefully, yeah. If anything, that'll just make me like X Men read more. Yeah, I'm wondering with X Men Red, which, how, like, what's what's going to happen after Judgment Day? Like, are they going to walk some of this stuff back? Like, what's the resurrection protocols for Araco? Because I don't think any of the Iraqi have resurrection protocols. Uh, Magneto doesn't anymore. He smashed his orb. He's, but he's also now a Marvel zombie. I 
my thinking with Magneto is uh, Professor X has a, a, a an Eric backup. The one who's most in love with Professor X, that's the one who he kept in his nightstand. <laughs> and he's gonna he's gonna bust out Magneto and resurrect him. And he, when he's just like totally in love with Charles, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm so sorry, you broke your orb, but uh, you told me if ever I died that we would get married." That's what Charles is gonna do. You mark my words. I don't think so. I think Charles is is, is a little too concerned with his uh his, his nation building at the moment i don't know that that max eisenhart slash eric lensher really does weird things to our boy chuck <laughs> i forgot he has two different names uh yeah it's a really uh like tragic and uh good piece of holocaust world building yeah i gotta read that one day you do it's actually really good it's really well researched and like really uh yeah, Magneto Testament is good, and I recommend it. Um, that's where we stand for our judgment of X. It looks like um, we're really excited about uh, the current stuff in the line, and we're going to keep being excited because Judgment Day is urgent and uh, causing the writers like Al Ewing to do some of their best work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for what, for once also, it doesn't feel like it was interrupted too much. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I guess... Ewing's books haven't really felt that way so much, but like Sword kept feeling like it was getting interrupted, and then it Guardians ended. Guardians of the Galaxy had such a rushed ending. Yeah, like I don't know what it is about Ewing. He's got he's got great ideas, but he doesn't seem like he's being allowed to to always run them to their logical end. Yeah, it's uh, corporate comics is a tough environment for such a creative dude. Yeah. Um, or well, maybe that's why he thrives. Uh, I like to think that. That sounds nice. Uh, looking at the time, Elias, I got to get to my, my next thing today. We've been going to talk about X-Men for a long time, as I am one yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to get longer from here. I I don't really mind. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> if people uh, want your up-to-the-minute feelings on X-Men, is there a place where they can find such things? I mean, this really is the place, but you can find me writing uh, on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Um, you can find my name buried on one of those Eternals boards that Karen loves so much uh, that he wants you to count and then recount. But screw that. I'm not reading 100 names. Good Lord. Um, yeah. And you can find me writing at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, it'll be fun, fun, fun. You will enjoy my writing, or else I will send Iska the Unbeaten to tell you to read it. Love, Iska the Unbeaten. Well, Jaina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? Folks can find me at Twitter at rambling underscore moose. And I can also be found at multiversitycomics.com. It's a pretty great website where I write mostly about X-Men and also I try to review non-X-Men books most weeks. Uh, yeah, and uh, probably some other fun stuff too. Um, next time, we are going to be dipping into our big, huge reading list. Yes, we are reading Eternals 1 through 10, uh, the original Jack Kirby series. Uh, this is the first half of it. Uh, you can find it in you know, Eternals by Jack Kirby Volume 1 or Eternals by Jack Kirby Complete Collection. And I think there's also like a Eternals the Complete Saga hardcover omnibus thing that got released that also has it. You can find it all sorts of places. This one's pretty 
well published at the moment. Um, yeah, we're going to be reading the first half of that uh, next time, and then the time after that, we're going to be reading the second half, which I think is issues 11 through 19 and annual number one. Um, and then we'll tell you about the rest from there, because that's when it starts to get weird. I can't say I'm looking forward to it, but it's going to be a hell of a thing. Oh, yeah. It'll be, we'll have plenty of, of breaks in between, especially because it'll be near the end of the year. So don't worry. It won't be all Eternals all the time, but Jaina might still feel like it is. We'll see you there, gentle listeners. Excelsior.